Welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. Well, welcome to the Stephen Mansfield Podcast. I am delighted that you are with me, and I mean that in the most sincere sense. Right now, when things are in tumult, when our cities are burning, when we're dealing with a pandemic, when there are global crises happening, right now is when I'm glad that we're able to talk. I'm not glad for the circumstances. I'm not glad for the pain and the death uh, and, the, and the tumult and the division. But I, this podcast has always been about looking the tough stuff in the face and talking about solutions. And so I'm glad you've joined me and I'm glad we can face what's going on in our world. Well, all of us know what has ignited the recent upheavals in the United States and, by the way, protests around the world. Uh, A young man named George Floyd was arrested by police and uh, in a certain city, and uh, he was held in such a way that he died while he was handcuffed and four policemen were holding him down. One of those policemen had his knee on the man's neck for the better part of nine minutes. And so this man was either choked to death, there seems to be some question in the medical community, he was either choked to death or the stress put upon him called other, caused other uh, things in his body to malfunction and he died. Whatever the exact medical reason is, he died at the handling of police. And that now has spawned protests that have been capitalized upon by looters and possibly by Antifa, we're being told, and other people who are more radical and more destructive. And this is added to a long, long list of videos that we've all seen and shootings um, by, of, of people who are in the custody or at least controlled by the police um, that are at, at, at worst criminal um, and at best just ill-advised. I mean, I, I hate to use the phrase ill-advised of the shooting of a human being, um, but if to, in my book, in Stephen Mansfield's book, these were illegal shootings. I'm talking about a long, long list. The shooting of a man running away from a policeman in a, in, in a city park. Uh, the shooting of a man, um, two policemen are laying on top of him, trying to control him. He may have been, been, been resisting some, but they had him pretty much suppressed, and all of a sudden, one of the cops pulls his gun and shoots him while he's laying on top of him with another policeman. Uh, I could go on and on and on. And some of these are unfortunate things, unfortunate accidents. A man in a car reaching for his, his wallet and instead the police think he's reaching for a gun and shoot him through his car window with his wife and child right there. I mean, we've all seen it. You don't need me to interpret, interpret it for you. Some of them are just downright criminal. Uh, some of them are just absolute brutality. Some of them are possibly misunderstandings. I can't pass judgment on all of them, but they are all tragedies. And the majority of them, without question, are a form of police brutality. And so we've got a crisis in our country, and I'm glad we're here talking about it. I want to lay a number of things out in this podcast and talk about some of the tough stuff. I love a quote by Dr. King. He said, riots are the language of the unheard. Now, I would prefer to use the word protests because we got two things happening today in our cities. We've got peaceful protests calling for justice. And these, I have to say, are legitimate. 
These are warranted. My own daughter has been involved in some of those protests. Here is a 30-year-old white girl, uh, you know, professional woman, uh, probably just right of center politically. Um, and she's got, like I do, a huge number of African-American friends and she lives in a black portion of New York and she's just, you know, she just couldn't, she said, I couldn't have lived with myself if I hadn't gone out with my friends and walked the streets and protested and called for justice. Now, I believe these protests are legitimate. I'm, I'm going to be part of them. I haven't had a chance yet because of uh, other scheduling, but I'm going, to, I'm going to be part of them in some peaceful ways with, with other religious leaders in my city and, and with, with, with other uh, of my African-American friends. We're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to make a statement. We're going to, obviously, there needs to be a call for change. There needs to be a call for justice. So I want to be careful to make a, make a distinction. Dr. King used the word riots. I understood, understand he was addressing his time. I would prefer to use the word protest. I think the protests are legitimate. I think the protests on the streets, people walking the streets, people chanting, people hoping, holding up signs. This is the American way. This is how we make our voice heard. This is how it works in a democracy, uh, even though I, I know that we actually live in a republic. And, and this is this is what we ha- what we should be encouraging. And this is the language we need to hear. We need to be listening to what's said. Now, on top of these protests, people are engaged in violence. That's not the intention of most of the protest organizers. I've heard this time after time after time. Stephen, we organized a protest and then some guys in some black outfits came and took over and started breaking windows and setting things afire. And our whole message was lost and we all ended up having to run because of the tear gas and the, and the rubber bullets. So there's no question that there is a cadre of people in our country who are trying to radicalize these otherwise peaceful protests. And if we're calling those riots, um, if we're calling that riots, then I would say that's illegitimate. Not the protests, but the radicalization, the violence. Here in Nashville, for example, just two blocks from my house, big riots happened that got national attention. They didn't last very long on a single night. Uh, somebody set a portion of the Metro Courthouse on fire. When the film was run back later, it turns out it was a white guy, young white guy. They went and arrested him the next day. He had no compassion for the African-American community. It wasn't about social justice. He was just a guy who saw an opportunity to create mayhem and went downtown and basically destroyed the message of an otherwise peaceful protest. So there are always those who get riled up. There are always those who get excited at a, at a protest and maybe uh, take it too far. That's understandable. But what's happening now is people are kidnapping the basic message of the protest, which is that we need to have justice. We need to have reform in police departments. So what I'm saying is that there's something we need to hear here moving beyond the violence. The violence is criminal. The violence should be dealt with. The violence, uh, arrest should happen. Police presence is necessary. Can't, can't sidestep all that. Don't want to. But the protests, the please reform your police department so black men aren't killed so that somebody it's not not uh, encouraged while other cops stand around doing nothing. One guy's got his knee on a man's neck for almost nine minutes. It's, it's, it's crazy. There needs to be reform. And if, if, they're not, if people are not being heard in court, if they're not being heard in, in filing of lawsuits, if they're not being heard through their politicians, if they're not being heard through their community leaders, well, then they're going to be heard on the streets. Not violence, not murders, not destruction of property, just a protest. 
And then, of course, what's happening is um, our darker element is coming in. And don't think that I mean skin color by that, of course. Of course, I don't. Uh, a darker moral element is coming in and creating violence. So let's make sure we're hearing the message that needs to be heard. Let me paraphrase Dr. King. Protests are the language of the unheard. We need to hear. Now, number two, I want to say, uh, as an economic factor, that part of the tragedy of what's going on right here is exactly what happened during the 1960s. Economists have long known that when the riots and the inner city burnings and, and, and ravages began to happen in the 1960s, what happened was merchants moved out of the inner cities and left inner city populations underserved. And this is what led to part of the, the crisis in uh, the inner cities. Uh, this is what, of course, it contributed to white flight, but that's not what I'm talking about now. I'm talking about the actual merchants, the actual stores. Uh, one of the quotes that I, I got from a man in, in, in a California city, he said, coronavirus didn't, drive, didn't close me, but this will. This will close me. I'm not keeping my store open uh, where people just to, to, to rob, I think it was a shoe store, just to, just to get Air Jordans or whatever. Uh, they bust my window, set my place afire, and haul off armfuls of stuff. I'm not staying open for that. So now that store is gone. Other stores are gone. And that's on top of coronavirus, which was going to close a huge percentage of stores to begin with. So let's be aware, especially of those who, of us who speak to these issues, appear on television, uh, maybe maybe address rallies, things of that, that nature. Let's be sure we're warning people about the economic impact of this. Stores will close. People will move out and inner city populations. By the way, I feel a kinship with that because I live downtown in two cities. I'm not saying I, I, I'm not making myself part of an inner city population ethnically, obviously, or racially, um, but I love cities. I love downtown towns. I love being in cities. Uh, and so I live in two cities, DC and Nashville, right downtown. And so I feel the, uh, what happens economically as the shift is taking place. I already felt it with coronavirus. Now I'm being told by merchants in my area, I'm not sure I can stay alive, especially if riots are going to break out, um, where the people that are very people that I'm serving on a regular basis are now targeting me when they get upset about something in the news. So this is a difficult situation. We have to be careful about it. We have to be wise. We have to know what we're doing. Now, this podcast is about making a difference. We all know what the problems are. What can we do to make a difference? First of all, we have to acknowledge and begin to address that while without question, the vast majority of police are good and noble and true and patriots and justice-oriented and heroes, there is a cadre in some police departments of people who are racist. I saw a picture the other day, uh, by the way, taken by a friend of mine. Uh, he was there when a, when a local police department was being photographed and he had his iPhone out. He was waiting for a friend uh, and he took a picture of that, of that police department himself. And these, by the way, are very, very prevalent all over the internet. It's not like you need this picture. Um, every single person in that police department picture, a local police department, maybe only five or six people, was making down by his leg, they were standing in semi-detention, and down by their leg, their fingers were in the white power symbol. You guys know that if you make an okay sign, uh, that this now has become a hand sign of white power. The your three, If you make the okay sign with your finger and your thumb, forefinger and your thumb, the three fingers going up form a W, which stands for white, and the circle of your fingers going down and then a line going down your arm forms a P. And so these are the initials for white power. You, I, I have seen pictures of entire police departments 
where people are making the white power sign down like just quietly, you know, uh, on their leg, down their, down their, their uniform pants. Now, by me saying this, am I saying all police are racist? Of course not. The vast majority are fantastic. And by the way, let's be a huge portion of police in America are non-white. So um, this is a unique white, uh, uniquely white police department. But there's no question we do have a problem of that existing in some places. There's no question. We've had, we have recordings of white police calling uh, black people they're trying to arrest the N-word. We, have, we, we know that there's a racial issue going on here in some cases. Let's be honest about it. I am a law and order man. I am the son of a United States Army officer. I, I am in favor of the police. I have celebrated the police. I've put together events to honor the police. I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm telling you, I could not be more proud of our American people in uniform and our first responders at the same time we do have a systemic problem not not so much in our courts not so much in our in our in our laws but in terms of how certain cadres of white power oriented people have moved into uniforms and moved into some positions of law enforcement we know it's true it's been testified to it's obvious and it's time for us to deal with this so let's not cower from it. And for those of you who listen to this podcast who are, who are in a position to advise people, uh, who are in a position to speak to these issues from, from positions of authority, maybe your judges, maybe your law enforcement. I, I know I've got a couple of chiefs of police who are uh, listening to this podcast. Let's make the difference we can make. This is not a specialty of mine. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not in law enforcement. But let's make the difference we can make. Let's call for change. Let's call for reform. At the same time, I want to say to the rest of us uh, who are not in positions to deal with those things. Let's support the police we can support. One of the saddest conversations I've had this week is with a policeman who says, look, I went into law enforcement to make a difference and to serve people. And, and, and now I'm disgusted by how my profession's being kidnapped and I'm not sure what to do. He feels like the bad element, the irresponsible element within policing uh, is damaging the whole. So we got to support those who are standing strong. We got to support those who are serving our communities well. We got to support those who are the good, loyal, patriotic, justice-oriented, true blue kinds of police. Okay. There's another thing we've got to do too, and that is we've got to stamp out any racism within our reach. It is it is time for us no longer to just look the other way when someone tells a racist joke or makes a racist comment or uses a slur. That's got to stop. And I, by the way, I mean that both ways. If you're black and you're sitting and you've got a bunch of your African-American friends around and you're slamming white folks or some jokes being told about some white, don't, don't put up with it. Deal with it. Challenge it. If you're white, same thing's going on in reverse. Deal with it. We've got to be careful. We've got our times are too tenuous. And for those of you who are people like a faith like me, you know, read the Old Testament prophets, read the book of Revelation. Notice that God chooses to enthrone himself in heaven, uh, seated uh, amidst the peoples and the, and the tongues and the tribes and the nations of the earth. He, he likes ethnicity. He likes diversity. Um, he, his first missionary sending church, you should look sometime in Acts 13 at the people at the first missionary church, Antioch in Christianity. It's a multi-ethnic band of elders sending people out to reach people throughout the nations. That's on every page of scripture. You cannot read the Bible, Old and New Testament and be a racial bigot. You have to be denying the truth that's there. So let's 
battle this thing wherever we find it. And I, I, I've told you many times before, I have it uh, in certain branches of my family. Uh, I have a heritage uh, of a Southern heritage and, and um, generation or two be, uh, before me. Uh, one of my ancestors, were, were, some of my ancestors have been clan. One of them was a grand, the grand wizard. Um, I, I then was born to an army officer who had eschewed all of that stuff. Uh, and he was actually decorated for his work in racial reconciliation in the military. So I grew up in a whole different context, but that is part of my heritage. That is in some of my family line. I'm aware of it. We're, it was, we're distant from it, but we're aware of it. Deal with it wherever it needs to be dealt with. Deal with it within your reach. And most of all, let's be in, in our professions uh, in the reach that we have, in the influence that we have, the change agents we can be. If you're a pastor, you got to preach about this stuff. You got to bring in somebody who's a different race than you, and and you got to have reconciliation meetings, and you got to stand strong. You got to be public with it. You can't just sit quietly. And by the way, this racist stuff. It's not conservative. Some folks are laying that on conservatives and some conservatives are acting this way as though all the stuff that's happening in the streets is Antifa and what we need to do is arrest everybody. Not true. So don't be cowed by certain people who speak out as conservatives and say you're not being conservative if you take a stand on this stuff. That's crap. In your business, in your profession, in your, in your fun clubs, country clubs, whatever, whatever you know, clubs you might be members of, perfectly fine, great, may you have, enjoy all of it. But don't make the difference, make the change you can make. Uh, make the changes you can make. Shift ideas, take a stand, be public. Now's the time. And we're smart enough to help people distinguish between the radicals, the violent radicals, and the more peaceful protests that do have a moment, do have legitimacy, and are calling for needed change in this country. So I'm, I'm grateful for you being willing to listen to this podcast because we often don't deal with very pleasant things. And in this situation right now, the need is for us to swallow our need for comfort, maybe cancel a vacation if it's not already canceled for us, and take a stand publicly. There are events, there are moments, there are people standing strong, there are religious leaders standing strong. Um, this is not about left and right. This is about justice in our country. And by the way, I have a lot of people who listen to this podcast internationally. I'm very grateful for those uh, who internationally are uh, having moments of silence to commemorate and grieve and mourn uh, the nine minutes. Apparently it was nine. I said seven early in an earlier podcast, but the nine minutes that George Floyd was being choked by a policeman's knee on his neck. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. That's the kind of thing that changes minds. Not burning buildings, not shooting people, not mugging people, not beating up old women on the streets, which, which has happened in some of these riots, but calling for people to recognize the injustices that are going on. This is in the best tradition of our country. This is in the best tradition of the faith we represent. And this is in the best tradition of what it means to live in this moment and to make the difference we can make. Stephen Mansfield is a New York Times best-selling author, a popular speaker, and a frequent faith and culture commentator on Fox and CNN. His groundbreaking books on faith and society include The Faith of George W. Bush, The Search for God in Guinness, Mansfield's Book of Manly Men, and Lincoln's Battle with God. Learn more at stephenmansfield.tv.